0: This is the DLR Cast, the Essential Podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, welcome to the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. I'm Steve, usually along here with my good friend Darren Palchowitz, but Darren is off on Parts Unknown, traveling right now. But have no fear, we're not breaking up the band. I'm not pulling the crazies from the heat, not going solo, but wanted to get this episode out here because we had a great conversation with our friends Darren and Brent at the Bogus Otis Show, Nine Degrees of Sammy Hagar, a super cool podcast about the Red Rocker. And we had a great time talking with these guys about an interesting time in Dave's and Sammy's career, and that is their 2002... 2002 co headlining tour, the heavyweight champs of rock and roll. If you remember, they were co headlining that summer, lots of drama, lots of fireworks. We get into it all and then some and a whole bunch of more, a whole bunch more other things. Like I said, had a great time talking with these guys. Do check out their podcast as well as be sure to check out Darren's forthcoming book, DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. We're a little bit more than six months away from that book hitting the streets. However, you can pre-order it now before it comes out in January at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org, wherever you buy and pre-order your favorite books. DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. And that's it for me for right now. Enjoy this episode of the DLR cast with our good friends at The Bogut's otis podcast take care
1: as dave roth once lamented you can't get this stuff no more but it turns out in fact you can and sammy told us it's about time so turn your clocks back we are the world's only dedicated sammy hagar podcast this is the bogus otis show i am boho brent that is BoHost d d what are you drinking tonight my friend
2: Tonight, I'm drinking a lemon drop martini, two ounces of Sammy rum, sweet and sour mix, one ounce lemon limoncello, whip it up, ice, optional, martini glass for sure. It's actually pretty good. Easy to drink. I'll make. tell you
1: what, you're the sweetest guy I know by far. So I hope you're enjoying that little drink. Listen, uh, you know who else is enjoying drinks? A whole bunch of Sammy fans out at the new Beach Bar Club. Mm-hmm. Huntington, uh, you've seen some news about this, yeah? Yeah, I'm pretty excited because the last time I went to the Cabo Wabo Hollywood,
2: it was an atrocious site. It was very bad and uh, made me feel pretty bad because then nobody really there even knew who Sammy was. And then shortly after, he actually announced or his team announced that it was not really affiliated anymore, and it soon closed right after. But the last time I was there was actually before the pandemic when it was pretty rough, so it was pretty sad. But two years before that, I was there. It was good. So something happened there just before the pandemic. But I'm happy to know that now he's got another Kabu-wabu legit in Hollywood or
1: well, you know, California. Yeah, it's it's an, it's a new spot. It's a new pilgrimage and uh, another reason to book a plane ticket. And maybe you and I will make that trek soon for sure. So right. listen, uh, tonight we got a couple of special guests, our old pals. We're talking the Hatfields and the McCoys or our version, the Hagar's and the Mick Roths. It's our special Guest friends from the DLR cast, yeah, it's Diamond, Darren, Paltrowich, and Steve Lee Roth. Hey guys, how are you? You hey, know, welcome, Gentlemen, gents.
3: Great to see you guys again. Do, do we call this a simulcast? What, what's the proper term when you do the crossover episode?
0: <laughs> crossover episode.
3: Crossover. Okay. It's <laughs> a just... rollover, or it's a rot-over. very special
2: episode.
1: Not the, comb, not, the for... comb,
2: not the comb over. That's for a different part of it, That's right.
1: Well, I, I have a feeling we'll probably talk about that tonight as well. So uh, <laughs> we wanted to get together with you guys and riff a little and have a little fun because the last couple of times we've chatted, it's been pretty interesting. And we've uh, done some deep dives and we're going to do that again. We're going to focus on uh the 2002 sam and dave tour tonight but we want to talk a little bit about all the craziness that happened from you can't get this stuff no more all the way to 2004 and the return of the red rocker so um why don't we set the scene here let's cast our minds back to 1996 the best of volume one there was never a volume two but again that's a whole nother topic um me wise magic can't get this stuff no more dave is back on the scene mtv awards crazy stuff happening uh did you guys watch that live dave coming out with the band live on the mtv awards
3: i did did you steve
0: yeah i sure did i'm having flashbacks and getting a twitch in my eye about how nervous and just balled up going this looks like a train wreck the moment he started dancing behind Beck, there you know and that whole bit I was just like no no let's just you know even back then it was there was those cringeworthy moments where you're just like what the fuck and I I mean had you you put a mic in front of my face right at that moment and said is this going to end in a horrible miserable you know smoke-laden failure I would have said yeah and that's what happened not to jump ahead too much (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you summarized it really, really nicely there. And, and uh, you know, even me as a devoted redhead, rockerite, Hagar fiend, uh, even, even watching that moment for me, Roth coming back out, I was like, man, th- this is pretty cool. You, you, you can't deny this. There's some, there's some cool stuff here. And even though we knew what was probably going to happen, it just felt like one of the most amazing moments in rock.
0: Indeed. I mean, I, I was truly torn. I was so excited, but also nervously scared. I guess I should have put it a little bit better, you know? I mean, it just, it seemed a little awkward, seemed a little forced, but at the same time, I was just so happy to see this actually happening, you know? I
2: so, just kept saying, keep it together, keep it together, come on. Yeah, exactly, it together. exactly. <laughs>
3: exactly. So, so something really funny, because I was diving into all this for research with that particular night, is Dave Lee Roth, three different ways he tells the whole story of how he got back together with van halen that if you follow the interview he does with kurt loader the press conference one the howard stern interview that's within a couple days that he tells totally different stories about how he wound up in van halen so now knowing how we know dave these days it's like of course that thing failed but (laughs) i wasn't as skeptical when it happened i didn't know any better back then
1: uh, I think both Darren and I were watching the Rage Beyond the Stage stuff just to, you know, kind of catch <laughs> up with, with some of this. And I I can remember that that little line with Dave, you know, when, when he's talking about his book where someone had reviewed his book and he's like, you know, the, some critic said whatever it was, uh, it tends to ramble. And he's like, tens. And, and the, you know, that night was exactly that, right? All of those the press junket going from, you know, spot yeah. to spot to spot. And and it was literally like the story was evolving in real time.
3: Yeah. So if I can, you know, hijack the conversation for a second, the the one thing that Dave says that I have no idea what the hell this means. And he says it during the Kurt Loader interview. He's explaining that the reunion happened by, he was in, of florida on vacation and hanging out and recording and he read about some guy fell off of his bike and he didn't know what year it was and that house somehow correlates to him going hey i missed the 80s and van halen should be back and then by the time that the story progresses it's like he finds out that there's the warner brothers volume one greatest hits coming out and he's going hey what's the deal with this eddie like a little difference between a guy falling off a bike, not knowing what year it is that has nothing to do with anything. And he wants mechanical royalties, you know, a little bit different.
2: <laughs> Sounds like a regular day in Roth.
3: Uh... <laughs> Same day you told those stories. How did you feel yeah. when you,
2: when you, when you saw the walk back on the stage, how did you feel that Roth looked? You think he looked cool? How, what was your reaction to just how he looked and how he was dressed?
0: I I remember I thought he looked cool. I mean, for the most part. But was, refresh my memory. I I know he had that kind of shorter post crazy from the uh, shorter post. Your filthy little mouth haircut, kind of going doing the modern do, and yeah. uh, a little bit. And then was he? He was wearing overalls, right?
3: He he was wearing the way too high pulled up jeans. Oh, that like, was it. like a yes. senior That's citizen. Right. Of
0: course, now I remember. Yes, that was a <laughs> little Yeah, with the thin that odd. really
2: thin belt he had, right? Yeah, yeah. For I a, thought he looked I okay mean, though. Right? I was like I, I I was like okay, not bad. This could this could maybe work. I was feeling okay about it. I mean, I uh, thought I listen, I thought he looked really good. I thought they all looked pretty good. I mean,
0: mm-hmm. and it's funny because whenever I've seen press conferences through the years or even on stage I'm so, I'm so curious, especially if there's parts where I'm cringing a little bit or just going, oh, is this going off the rails? I always look to see what the reaction is from the other three guys. And i will got to give them credit. They could win fucking Oscars because you've never seen an eye roll. You've never seen them mutter like, you know, what the fuck to each other. I mean, even at that moment, I mean, listen, uh, the... The word hijacked the event was thrown around a lot, you know, and but Dave was and is the front man. It was and is well still now for no for, you know, by no other choice. Uh, the front man, you know, was the mouthpiece, was the guy that people wanted to talk to for the most part and in a reunion. Yeah, yeah the, he's going to have most microphones stuck in front of him. But there's a part of me that always just wishes in so many instances, hundreds of times through years like just dial it back a bit, share the spotlight, share the love a little bit, because you would not be there without those other guys. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's like, if you look at Kiss, you know, Paul and Gene don't do any interviews together anymore. They did for years, right? But they don't do them for the most part. They do them individually, but yet there's still a mutually shared spotlight there, both in the interviews singularly and even together. You know, I mean, they're always asked, you know, um, they're always asked, you know, about each other. And Paul said, you know, he's like the brother I never had. You know what I mean? There's always been some equilibrium right. there for two of the biggest egos, right? In the two biggest egos in the band, the founding members of the band. And that's the sort of thing I wished we saw more with Dave. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, some humbleness, some like from on stage to, you know, like it drove me nuts the things that he, you know, I mean, he would announce Eddie for the most part and Alex. But, you know, Wolfie was like, nice vocals, Wolf. I mean, I just wish there was more camaraderie, however, even (laughs) if it needed to be forced, because sometimes it would spill over and you'd really feel that love, right? But in 96, you didn't necessarily feel that. It was so short. It was a short fuse and boom, it was gone.
2: Yeah. Everything you just talked about there, like, it seems like that's, Roth doesn't really let that get out too often, which I was surprised because, I mean, I know we're jumping around here, but the uh, 2012 different uh, kind of truth had that bonus disc, the downtown sessions where- That's where that's the Dave. I'm like, that's be that guy for a little bit here and there. Yeah. uh, You know, they're kind of in awe of each other. Right. It was and respected the union. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah I and mean, that- e- even let's fast forward to, you know, his uh, quote unquote retirement uh, audio clip that, you know, of, of, of a couple of years ago or 18 months ago, whenever that was to me, that was the most humble I think I've I've ever witnessed him in an interview or in a in a moment he he seemed very genuine and authentic in that and you know maybe it was all fabricated and and staged to 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 come off that way but it it seemed to me like his retirement moment uh of last year was was like a, a as humble as humble could be
0: you that, you sounded you felt this yeah you felt disappointment in there even if Darren and I still can't figure out what throwing in the shoes means. But, <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh,
3: I I have to be a, a skeptic because the more I dig into Dave's archives, the more I see things like in 1997 when he had slaughterhouse s l a w, which somehow became DavidLeeRoth.com, I found this old archive thing. When you go on archive.org and you can search old websites, it was a newsletter that he put out there. there. In 97, he was threatening to retire. So <laughs> you have that A Little Ain't Enough video that ends with that joke that it's, you know, 2020 that he's retiring. Right. You have talking about in 1997, he's going to retire. Once you have that perspective, you go, oh, dude, he just threatens retirement. That's That's his move. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, in,
0: in rock, we know full enough that retirement can mean a hundred different things, <laughs> you know, yeah. so but with veteran acts in rock, you know, you could, I mean, for all, you know, there could be bands that could sign a contract, say we are never going to perform live again, and then <laughs> they might rip it up. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, we never <laughs> said we won't play live again. We just said we're not touring. However, a residency on a cruise ship we can do, you know, That's I mean, right. so how I, I, Yeah, I never necessarily believed it that much. It could take many different forms, but um, you know, I mean, going back to this era, I guess you could say. And I know it was a it was a strange era for Sammy in a lot of respects too. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of I kind of will say this is kind of Dave's lost era, right? From after the failure, relatively more or less, basically, let's not sugarcoat it of of your filthy little mouth. To, you know, I mean, what was it? He had the Van the Van Halen reunion. Uh, 96 Mm -hmm. crazy from the heat the book in 97 the dlr band in 90 so he was visible but there was no really huge tours there was these kind of you know uh, there was tours after the dlr band i think and then it was kind of quiet right until the sam and dave tour which is that's you know i know we'll get into there so i mean it was it was an odd time i mean i was constantly looking what's he gonna do next what and you know or what the hell happened after this and then in you know before all that you had the best of with the two new tracks so you know you had these little glimmers of hope and you know only to be let down
1: so I'm curious. You guys are, uh, are, are are deep divers on your show, and you're always digging for all of this interesting. And for you know, Darren talking about some of the archival stuff and the research that he's done. Um, Darren and I were chatting before we came on the air about that sort of late '90s, '99, 2000, 2001 time frame, where there, there were some rumors that there was a couple of fits and starts, stalled, failed you know, reunion attempts with, with Dave, do you guys have any insight into what was happening there? Because again, you know, Sammy had carried on, you know, after marching to Mark 10, 13, and it just, you know, his solo career sort of continued to evolve and he was, uh, you know, still out there in a, in a decent way, but there was always this little undercurrent after the Sharon era that, you know, Dave was going to be back. Do, do you guys, do, do you guys know some, some nuggets Are there some Easter eggs in there?
3: I mean, I do, but I'll let you talk, Steve, if you want. <laughs> On that end, you
0: know, the timeline is scattered. There's a lot we found out later after the fact. I mean, I think the general public's perception is that this is what we know. There's these, you know, here was the big reunion in 2007 with the the aborted the reunion for a second in '96, and nothing else. But Darren found out a lot more, and there was a lot more communication than. I think we thought and I think even more than we know now, we know, but I think even beyond that, there could have been even more vis-a-vis maybe management, maybe, you know, publishing, all this other stuff. I mean, I think a lot of people think it was just this complete desert of communication. I mean, and wow. until you would get these snippets where I remember there's a story out there where Dave, maybe it was in the Crazy from the Heat book where he just happened to bump into Eddie on New York City street corner, <laughs> you know, so it's like there was, a I think, a lot more interactions than the public let on. And Darren, I know you can fill us in on that. I mean, we found out a while back on the podcast that uh, there was a good portion of uh, the Different Guy kind of Truth record recorded before anybody knew it was recorded.
3: Yeah, the that I think was kind of broken by Frank Meyer, who was supposed to write Dave's next book where they were actually shopping it to publishers. And he's from the band Street Walking Cheetahs. And Frank has 20 bands at any time, and he's directing 10 TV shows at any time. He's a hardworking guy and a Van Halen diehard. And Matt, who was managing Dave in the late 90s into the early 2000s, secretly played Frank. The sessions and what he had told Frank or at least showed Frank was they didn't record the full songs they recorded the first 90 seconds or so, because Dave was super gun shy about how the Van Halen's were going to steamroll him with the business stuff. I think he felt slighted about. The 96 reunion, not going the way it was supposed to go. Because if you remember, they promised music videos for both of those songs. I think they promised additional songs beyond that. And they even told Dave that there was going to be a tour, allegedly, if you believe Dave. Or at least that's what he said on Howard Stern. So I think he came into this going, hey, we'll write stuff, we'll do stuff, etc. But then the weird part about that is if you go to the 2013 interview, and stop me if this is too rabbit-holy, I'll I'll look for the hand signal, or the (laughs) the showtime of the evolving. So one of my obsessions at the moment is this 2013 interview that Dave did with USA Today that contradicts everything that he said years (laughs) later. And by that, I mean, he's talking about the John Five album and he's describing it as a jukebox musical that he's written and how the Van Halen's, he showed them all these songs. And then you fast forward, you know, to after Eddie died and he wrote somewhere over the Rambo bar and grill because it was a tribute to Eddie. (laughs) So it was either an old song or it's not. And in that same interview, he said, you know, I haven't written a song with Eddie in 20 years. And you do the math on that and you go, but there was that early 2000s reunion attempt in 01 or 02. So. I think if you speak to five five people in that camp, you're gonna get five different answers as to what happened, what almost happened, when it happened, etc. I'm still confused.
0: Well, you know, this reminds me too, and Darren and Brent, maybe you could shed some light on this. Those two tr- new tracks, were any of those leftovers from stuff that they tried with Sammy, were they reworked in any way? I mean, I remember yes. reading a couple places, right guys, where I, one of those was a song that came from the uh, Sammy era. But you know, I also got you also have to add the fact that, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of, you know, Eddie noodling <laughs> you know, that turned into songs or just him and Alex are playing. But could you guys can you guys shed some light on that on those two tracks? Because I'm I've been obsessed with those two songs for a long time because I I think a lot of people have forgotten about them and I I love them.
2: Well, just totally they they kind of sit well with humans being. They kind of feel like when I remember hearing like humans being came out first and then the album, the best of came out volume right. one came out. You no, know, I guess the fall after the summer uh, humans being came out. I remember thinking these songs, you know, sonically and musically and tonally all kind of fit. Like they were all could have been done at the same session. Just swap out the vocal. Yeah. But in I terms of having facts, humans I don't being. exactly know. Right. But Brent, you might know.
1: No, I don't, but, uh, but that that's a really inter- interesting perspective. I mean, we've talked about some of these, uh, bonus tracks here and there. And, you know, what, what if we had swapped something for a different album? We've chatted about this in the context of balance a bunch of times. Um, and, uh, it's, it does seem to me like you're, you're right. There's, there's some similarities there and, um, could, could Sammy have, uh, you know, ripped a vocal on can't get this stuff. No more or me, me wise magic in, in the, the form they, they ultimately came out my opinion is no those are those are roth songs true and true and and i'm I'm with steve i mean i love both of those songs i always have um but it does kind of feel like there's the waters were so muddy in those yeah. years that anything could have been happening right
3: you if, if i can well. butt in for a second the video that came out after eddie died of eddie playing in jason becker's living room and he's just shredding you hear him play the riff to me wise magic that's right That's why I believe that the songs were already written.
0: That's a good point. And you reminded me as well how much I absolutely, that was the same time frame yeah. which I sometimes forget about, how much I love the song Humans Being. I mean, I absolutely, it's one of my favorite Van Halen songs, Latter-day Van Halen for sure. I mean, one of my favorite songs is Sammy. It's a song that's just all powerful. And I, yeah, I think who knows when they were all, they may have been written, but yeah, that whole time frame, as far as them coming out, it, you know, it also reminds me too that Dave was doing a lot of music then. We just didn't hear it all at the same time in different format. Because in the midst of this era as well, we had the absolute lunacy that was and is the No Holds Barbecue uh, art project, if you want to call it. And there's some amazing tunes on that. You know, uh, the music beds and the songs themselves, the covers, the cover of Shine a Little Love by ELO, which I absolutely love. The uh, the the cover of Meat, the acoustic cover of Meat Street with the bongos. God knows, I wish you know, Dave, you know, would put these out in actual let's enjoy it without any artifice around it on Spotify. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, but that's, you know, that's my ongoing, one of
1: my many ongoing frustrations. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that we know that was, you know, kind of, can we, I don't know if we can say it was good, but it was interesting that came out of these crazy years was the Sam and Dave tour in 2002 Um, kind of, you know, incubated with a, as we understand it, a little conversation between Sammy and Irving Azoff. And, you know, next thing you know uh, the unthinkable is, um, is happening. Um, Dee and I were chatting about this too, uh, you know, in the, in the lead up to tonight and, you know, what the motivation must have been. I mean, if you listen to Sammy, by all accounts, he's, you know, very bold in saying he had a successful solo career was, you know, getting paid a lot more than Dave was, touring a lot more than dave was playing venues a lot bigger than dave you know sammy likes to talk about how he's done everything better than dave we know that um and in most cases he's right oh see what i did there <laughs> but you know why
3: uh, do, do interrupt you now or uh, <laughs> because because i have something that contradicts what sammy says but keep going man keep
1: going. <laughs> i love this so i'm gonna ask for uh for my darren to come to my defense here sure, darren. Um, darren, it's won. it's it's 2002. Uh, you know, 1013 happens. Interesting tour around that time. 2002, Long Road to Cabo DVD, largely based on uh, you know the the happenings of um, bits and pieces of of that tour. Um, what? Let's kind of go past and think about Darren. Think about uh, Long Road to Cabo DVD. Looking back on it and and seeing what was your take. Of what you saw based on that DVD versus what you thought when this big announcement happens in you know LA April of two thousand and two, the the unthinkable is happening. Well, first of all, I could never. like, Well, no,
2: actually, I could believe that it could happen. I was kind of dismayed that it was happening. I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it at the time. Even now, maybe not. But I mean, if I felt like this is better than just nothing, uh, and I then I realized they you know were trying to make this happen to kind of get the the brothers off their off what Dave calls Howdy Doody Mountain, uh, to start making music. <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like Sammy tried to get this to happen in 97 first. And it didn't quite happen at that point. But it sounds to me like if he was gonna like if he was going to do that in 97, when in 97 do you guys, or maybe you know, did he try to get this to happen? Because he, you know, he charged out of the gate with marching to Mars, which did quite well. Mm-hmm. So what? where would this come from? Was it after much after marching to Mars, like why 97 well, if he was doing well? Why would he try to instigate a Roth Hagar tour at that point?
0: Was it kind of it was between album? Well, when did 10? Thir- I'm thinking um, uh, Mastiquila, that album, kind of I that remember was 90 barely now. It was 98, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, uh, 98, and then 1013 was 2000, 2000
1: yeah.
0: yeah. So I mean was this kind of a, in a lull between the recording and touring cycle for him and a chance to make some really good money because certainly it was a, it was a, a good you know good time for Dave to make some money I think you know I mean cuz he'd been you know there was well, an idea I got to interrupt here
3: I have to interrupt here because what Sammy is saying and he came out saying about two or three weeks ago about how basically he threw Dave a life raft because he was making five times the money Dave was per night Somebody who worked for Dave on that particular tour told me that that was originally supposed to be the kitchen sink tour, not exactly that name, but that was supposed to be the Van Halens with both of the lead singers, and then it became what they called the non-Halen tour. So, Sammy's leaving that part out of history. So, again, it's like speak to five people and you get five different chronologies and and happenings and all that. So, I don't know if I believe Sammy's whole thing that he did the favor on that. And that same person told me that that tour was supposed to go about 18 months. And Sammy's who pulled the plug on the whole thing. And you go, well, how do you know that, Darren? Well, I found a California corporation called Hagar Roth Touring Incorporated. If it was supposed to be a two month thing, It you wouldn't file the LLC just for that, so we don't know anything. That's what I'm getting at.
2: With that, is that alluding that maybe it could have been like a tour that went over to South America and beyond?
3: Correct. I've been told it was supposed to go to Europe and Japan that tour, and Sammy pulled the plug and infuriated everybody,
0: you know. I was look. I'm looking back. I saw that. I saw that tour in Tinley Park, out uh, a big shed, a big you know amphitheater in Chicago, like you know twenty thousand people with the lawn, and it was packed. And I remember thinking it, thinking back now. I don't think Sammy could have filled those, done that kind of business by himself in places that size. Not that he was. I mean, he was certainly bigger than Dave as far as what he could fill. Yeah. But you know that was. I mean, really good timing for Sammy. Sammy as well. I think is you know. Uh, As well as as well as Dave, it's a shame it didn't go any further far than that. I got my own you know bones to pick with
2: the individual. Or at least one more show. What didn't happen? Brent was actually at the gates. (laughs) What?
1: Yeah, I was supposed to see the show at, uh, at Darien Lake just, uh, outside of Buffalo, oh, which yeah. was the second to last on the tour, I believe. And, uh, I drove down to Darien Lake, which, um, you know, we're, uh, for listeners, uh, Darren and I are about, um, 45 minutes outside of Toronto. So for me, uh, to get down to Darien Lake, that's a hour and a half ish drive and you know we bombed down there, and we're all pumped, and this is going to be a great show, great experience. We're in the parking lot at Darien Lake, and we go for a wander up to the gates of you know the then amphitheater, you know which wasn't quite what it is now at Darien Lake. And there's a sign on the gate that the show has been canceled. We literally found out that afternoon, and then you know this the story goes: uh, Sammy was sick. I think was the the rumor, the story, the whatever. But uh, I mean, uh. I, I don't think there was any, uh, any flu going on there that was, you know, any, any medical situation.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, what, again, what we know, it's still different parties telling the different stories. And ultimately the kitchen sink tour was supposed to happen again in 2018, 2019, somewhere around there but that idea was at least floating in the past that we know we just don't know if that 2002 tour was the first time or if 97 was the first time when, no idea
0: when you think of it 2002 would have been a great time for everybody because Van Halen 3 was a flop mm-hmm. right when did that come out 98
3: that's, that's 98 yep yeah.
0: 98 you know, Dave. Dave's recording career is basically dormant. You know, at that point, DLR mm-hmm. band. Sammy had a good string of decent albums. I mean, not to you know name drop or drop anything, but I, I, I had just started with MCA Records when that Mas Tequila record came out, and it. We did big promotions with yeah, retail. We did, did well. this cool little EP with Best Buy with uh, a version of Right Now on it, and I remember seeing him at probably it was like a three thousand seat arena somewhere. I was, I think it might have been in like. Amarillo, Texas or something and nicest guy in the world as you guys I'm sure know. And, but I can remember thinking it was like, yeah, I mean, it was a solid gold record. I mean, he was never going to hit those heights again with that he hit with Van Halen. I, but you know, he was clearly enjoying himself and doing decent music fast forward a little bit. 2002, he had a string of basically decent performing records, right? You know, kind of not as not doing that huge business. Like with Van Halen, Van Halen, I mean, Van Halen three was just, the worst performing album they've ever had and dave's dormant right. i mean it makes perfect sense to do that kitchen sink tour if if and if jesus if everything azoff couldn't pull it off then you know there was some thing seriously wrong in the van halen camp then uh, you know between the three of them i bet a lot of it maybe came down to money as well
3: so who knows allegedly allegedly uh <laughs> one more time allegedly Dave didn't want to work with Eddie because of his lack of sobriety at the moment. And as we know, the 04 tour, Eddie was in horrible shape. And I think even into 06, that's when he finally went to rehab because when Eddie scored the, the that porn <laughs> for Michael Nin, you don't want to watch the, the performances of Eddie uh, in that he's not looking good. So it's, it makes you wonder how long was Eddie in, rough shape for was it 10 years five years
0: well reading sammy's book which was quite the eye opener which i think he's so judging by recent you know the comments since eddie's passing i think he really regrets airing all that but i mean i'm sure you guys have talked about that book a lot but that opened my eyes to a lot of what was going on i mean just and we saw it a lot of it but even more so i mean just it's really interesting to hear what sammy talked about about when he would you know try to write some songs and just what was going on and i mean i i kind of believe dave from that standpoint because it must have been almost it sounded like it was almost impossible to work with eddie or to be even
2: productive but the thing is like you know but if dave could tolerate traveling across the country with his arch nemesis hagar who they never saw you know, they had people keeping them apart couldn't they have done just done that and kept him and eddie apart i mean they traveled separately yeah, well, in the I mean, years, anyways and in 2002 you're right like roth that's probably when he needed a shot in the arm the most right
0: my thought is i mean it would have been keeping them all away from each other i think would have been about keeping eddie upright i mean right. 2002 and you know the 2004 like you guys just were talking the 2004 reunion that that's what Sammy talks about so much in the book. That was just like, Oh man, you, I just, it was heartbreaking to know, you know, when we saw glimpses of that, I, I know from reading about the tour and, and later on seeing videos, I mean, it was for most nights. It was pretty sad and very worrisome.
3: Yeah. That's yeah. Called th- the th- era th- where Ed, where Eddie pulled the gun on Fred Durst. Uh, that's an anecdote that's come out in recent years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think uh, I, I have a feeling that it was, it was around kind of, early 2003 when we started hearing the um he was he would call into the howard stern show and you know was talking about all this crazy stuff about how he was he was getting these bizarre medical treatments that you know weren't available to anybody else and it just these just periodic weird phone calls that he was he was doing with with radio shows and other folks and that and then you know the next page was the 2004 tour and then it sort of feels like the very next thing you saw after that tour ended was all of a sudden he's got his hair cut again, you know, with the frosted tips and he's all tanned and his teeth are fixed and he was at like a, an Indy or a NASCAR event or something like that. And, you know, it, it was like, he was a completely different person. So, you know, you know, would he have been able to withstand the rigors of a kitchen sink tour in and? you know any better than he uh, clearly couldn't in 2018 right
3: these these are definitely questions and uh, unfortunately the more time that goes by is the fewer answers we seem to have about what's unreleased from van halen is anyone doing anything steve always asks is alex ever going to play drums again will we ever see alex play drums again steve says no i say yes what do you two say
2: I say no, which kills me to say. It kills me. We were just talking about this and I think I was texting with you Darren a couple of days ago about now that Aerosmith has released their Peace Out video and it says the greatest American hard rock band and I'm like, oh, that makes me upset to hear that. Yeah. I think the Kitchen Sink tour right about now with well, you know with an alive Eddie would have been amazing and could have rescued their legacy.
0: Yeah. You know, I was just thinking too looking thinking back about and the Eddie's problems and everything. I always got the impression that more so than Dave, Sammy had an incredible amount of patience and would have done anything to make anything work with Eddie because let's face it, it would have fattened his wallet to the nth degree, right? Not that that's his only motivation, but, you know, Sammy's worked with, well, you got to have a lot of patience to have that kind of solo career and also a lot of drive and be able to go, yeah, you know, to try to make things work, I think. Whereas, I mean, you know, Dave is so ego and solo focused, not to say that Sam isn't, I think it's just a different dynamic with how they worked with Eddie. I always got the impression that Dave just, you know, my way of the highway lost patience was the immovable force versus the irresistible object, right? There's okay. some really wild physics there that when it connected, it was amazing. But when it didn't, man, it was like that gravitational pull was way off. Whereas Two big egos, but Sammy, I think, always got he he de- deferred to the Van Halens. They were there. They started. They brought him on. They, you know, they brought him back again. Whatever all the back and forth. I think he would have done anything for that. For that to to uh, to you know get that phone call multiple times after two thousand after two thousand four and before that.
1: Well, you know, you think about that rage beyond the stage. Uh, those that I think it was about a five part series or something that was uh, that that MTV thing and. You know, we all know uh, the the magic of editing and the magic of uh, slanting a, a story one way or the other, but it was really interesting to me watching that, you know, Sammy was portrayed over and over and over again as this guy who was like, you know, I'm going to Dave's manager, I'm knocking on Dave's dressing room going, hey, Diamond, you know, like, let's, let's go out and, and, and it just, Dave wouldn't even talk to him or acknowledge him. If you watch. That exactly with with that narrow focus. So, I wonder really during that tour, what actually was happening? Were they having any communication? Was it Sammy constantly going, "Let's let's do something" or not? I don't know.
3: Ooh, call on me. Call on me. You, <laughs> you there, sir? Okay. A lot of that is super super fake because Dave is not generally at the venue for sound check, for starters. Uh, I've heard story. have you ever seen the soundcheck footage where it's just Van Halen sound checking a vocalist? They're they're just cutting the songs perfectly with no lead yeah. vocal. They were doing that on the Wolfgang touring. They were doing that with Sammy, etc. And you'd go, Well, where was Dave? He was surfing, he was doing his walks, Roll he was waiting. doing all the, <laughs> the things that he wanted to do. And he just shows up right before the show. He's got his own dressing room, et cetera. And I know that because if I could tell a really quick story, as recently as 2020, March 2020, he had a new guitar player join his band who hadn't played on any of the shows and played on a Kiss show. He never met the guitar player before they hit the stage. This is the thing that i verified from a few different people. So Sammy could have been knocking on the door and no one is in the room or Dave wasn't there. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be friends with it Because he's not there.
1: Yeah, interesting.
2: <laughs> now, if they're actually, if they were going to share a song, uh, what song do you think would ever bring them both to the stage at the same time? Ooh, good Elder question.
3: 10. You really got
0: me. If you really got me. I was, I was, that what I was going to say, yeah.
2: Or a neutral song, like maybe a Zeppelin tune or something. Or
3: Dave hates or... Zeppelin, I hear but i mean
2: but but you wait for the bus there you go um but steve you said you saw the show right so how was the crowd Were was there a clear type of uh winner between the two camps or was it just everyone's a winner because you get to see the best of both It, it to my recollection
0: it was it was kind of evenly divided. I mean, I may have been a bit louder for Dave because if I remember correctly, Dave. I think I want to say, and I, boy, people remembering will correct this, and I'm sure the interwebs can. But I think Dave closed that show. Um, and I can be extremely biased, and I'm, but I'm not going to tell you that you know it was a pro, totally pro Dave crowd. It was Chicago, outside of Chicago. I mean, to my recollection, it was pretty evenly split. Personally, I remember being a bit more impressed with Sammy's show, which I had to grudgingly admit because, I mean, I guess. Uh, You know, I shouldn't have expected anything more than virtually a Van Halen tribute band from Dave, even at that point. But I'm the guy who wants to hear the solo songs. You know, I want to hear a nice mix of it. And Sammy's got an amazing career and a lot more solo sales, solo albums that are more known in songs than Dave has. So it goes to thinking that he's going to throw in some of the songs with Van Halen. And I suppose if you only hear five or six Van Halen songs when you're seeing Dave live out of, say, a 16 song set, Eighteen songs that you're gonna, you're probably most people gonna be probably pissed off and disappointed.
2: Yeah, because he he only played was it Yankee Rose was his only solo song that he played on that. I,
0: tour? And I, maybe oh, it was Yankee Rose and maybe uh, on that tour he Girls, did, maybe? Just, or, like Paradise, just
3: like Paradise, just like Paradise, just like that. Yeah, and he might have done California Girl. I the, California I'm trying to think Girl. about this because I when I interviewed Brian Young, who played guitar with him for five or six years, Brian was super, he told me he was super psyched to be in that band at the beginning because they were only doing Van Halen in one and two, pretty much. And that's his favorite stuff. And then slowly over time, Dave would be going, well, we should put in just a gigolo. Well, we got to put in California Girls. Well, we got to put it, and he was putting more softer stuff and covers in, whereas it started off as a hard rock thing at the beginning of the Sammy tour.
0: I, I, I will tell you, and I've gone back and watched so many videos over the years, but I mean, he sounded great. The band yeah. was kick ass. Ray Luzier is a freaking monster, as everybody knows. I mean, that band was pure horsepower. I mean, that's the band I think that fueled one of Darren's all-time favorite shows ever from overseas. So, but I mean, and I thought also the other thing too is, and let's face it, we I'm sure we all judge this. If we're Dave fans, we go, fuck, he looks great. I mean, the long hair, you know, he was back looking like a rock star. Your Filthy Little Mouth, the last time anybody really saw him on tour, right, was he was doing what I call the subdued GQ look where, you know, the smoky room with a white button-down shirt, a black vest, and black jeans. How do I know this? Because I have the Your Filthy Little Mouth tour book. I just tend to remember these. But, you know, you want your heroes to look great, right? You know, especially with Dave, who you know, growing up, to me, the guy was like a comic book hero, for God's sakes, you know. In sixth grade, when uh, Van Halen 1 comes out, I mean, I didn't know who Jim Dandy was. I mean, this, you know, there was him and Robert Plant and Steven Tyler. And, you know, as far as the big, you know, these rock gods that just like look like they should be on the stage, on stage and off, they look like they should be on the stage. That was what Dave brought on the Sam and Dave tour.
2: Yeah, I have to admit, I was watching some of the videos before uh, for tonight, and I I think I was watching Camden. And yeah, he looked pretty good. Yeah, actually, I've forgotten. Uh, I hadn't watched in a long time, and Dave looked pretty good. I mean, Sammy, I wish he had. He just got his haircut, I think on the Leno show, not too long before this, so his hair was just starting to come back. So it's still short. I wish he had the long hair because they would have both looked like in in my mind in their prime, right? But I mean, I guess I'm wondering when you were watching the show, could you feel a little bit more electricity from both sides because they knew the other was following or coming afterwards, or was it amping me, up the whole crowd? Or for me, it was so long
0: ago, man. I mean, whoo it's you know 2002 um i mean i suppose if you asked me then it would have been this it, i probably would have grudgingly said dave but that's just my bias you know so
2: nice although you did and, just kind of say you begrudgingly and thanks for begrudgingly admitting it on this show that you like Sammy Set better
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, on but the if whole, i can uh, on the the whole
0: you, I, can... I mean you know
3: If I can hijack again for a second, though, when in 86, when both Dave toured and Van Halen toured with Hagar for the first time, one of the things that people made fun of was how Dave's show was pretty much all Van Halen and a handful of solo songs, whereas Van Halen was 5150 and a handful of Dave songs. So already it's kind of like Dave was glued to Van Halen for the rest of his life. And the alternative was always going, what can we do that's not Dave? Dave.
2: Right. And that's too bad because you think for the Sam and Dave tour, just out of sheer ego, Dave would have, you know, to show he's got some hits too to stack up against Sammy's solo career. would have done stuff from Eat Him and Smile or Skyscraper or, uh, you know, even at that point, I'd love to hear stuff from Uh Little In Enough.
1: Yeah. I oh, mean, I, uh, Eat Him and Smile on its own was stacked with great songs top to bottom. Right. It, and it, it, it is interesting. So what was there a feeling that uh, this was a, Van Halen cover band, you know, in, in as part of the the band that he put together, or, you know, was he really trying to be still himself Dave focused or was it just capitalizing on the nostalgia of, you know, the classic or original Van Halen?
0: I mean, it was, to me it was Dave focused, but given the people what they wanted the Van Halen tunes, I mean, Darren and I have talked about this before the last time we remember him really giving cl- even close to equal, you know, acknowledgement, if you will, to the band in both photos on stage and the press was really eat him and smile. You know, since then, it's been pretty much after Vi left and obviously the tragedy with Jason Becker, everybody else is pretty much kind of faceless. And that's always driven me nuts a little bit. And by that point, I don't remember if, if he did introduce the band in a big way, I would have remembered it in 2002. And I don't remember it.
3: Yeah, and in, in that era, I think there was five guitar players in five years, something to that effect. It was really a revolving door. Now, Ray Luzier stuck around for a long time. James Lomenzo, I think, was in and out a few times, but he had a second guitar player for some of the tours of 03, 04, 05. 05. Uh, I think there was another person that came. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ray Luzier left at a certain point. Jimmy DeGrasso replaced him. So you know, Dave really had personnel problems from say, skyscraper forward, because a little ain't enough. Different band from the album to the tour, and totally different band uh, from the European tour, I think, to the U.S. tour.
0: Baron once charted out, and Dave in his career has worked with one hundred and seventy-nine drummers.
3: <laughs> I'm exaggerating,
0: but maybe maybe not by too much.
3: <laughs> yeah, the the um the Vegas residency of 2020 is incredible because the, the EPK footage that they were using was from the friends and family show. And he fired two of the guitar players you see in there and Brett Tuggle. So three of the, three of the five people you see in there didn't even play those shows. And it was like two months later. Crazy.
1: Did this, uh, did this flip a coin thing, you know, as the legend goes, we're going to, we're going to flip a coin for the first uh, show. And that's who, that's who gets to, close that night. And then we're going to flip flop every night. I've heard some differing reports of whether or not that actually happened. And there was some shenanigans with some, you know, big, a big home show in LA or uh, a big show in New York where there was some shenanigans where I, I think the the one uh, legend tale that I read was that uh, Sammy was supposed to close and Dave uh, claimed that his tour bus broke down And so Sammy had to go on and play first. And, you know, Darren, maybe to your point, Dave miraculously showed up on time, just in time for him to make the stage and headline that night. Um, Did did, you guys have any sort of charting or tracking of did that we're were playing the alternating headline game happen? Or was this uh, the story of Dave hijacking whenever he could?
3: I think that that's a made up thing about the toying, uh, toying cost. That's one of those things where you, instead of saying coin toss, when you, once you get tired, you start to say toss, costs. And that's <laughs> one of those ticks. Uh, I thought that, that the coin toss thing was made up, that that was a Sammy thing that he put out. Because I think I remember from that MTV or VH1 special where he tried to say that, Dave, by showing up earlier, was claiming the bigger dressing room. And look at this. I can't believe this tiny dressing room. We can't even fit in there. I just thought that was acted out. Because when you're advancing a show with the production manager, they know what the evening schedule is for the night. Right? Steve, am I crazy here? No, you're right. You're
1: right. It's everything from load in to ride a fulfillment to all of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're not sitting around at 2.30 going, gee, who's going to open?
3: You know, yeah, I, mean, I just don't believe that I, I think that over time people might have said things to Sammy to placate him a little bit and you know he at the end of the day you know as great of a businessman he is as he is he's a creative person and tour managers know how to handle creative person and who knows what lies the tour manager is telling the creative person so that they show up
2: good point good point
3: yeah, I I gotta
0: believe, to no, I got to believe so much of that was negotiated and figured out way before. And I mean, if you've got if Irving, Irving Azoff as your manager and you've got a whole retinue of people behind you, there's yeah. no way you show up and go, I got the tiny dressing room in a freaking huge place like Darien Lake where, you know, there's big rooms for everyone. I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? It's just it kind of I'm, I've always been a little bit incredulous about that. Plus, the other thing, too, is I think, you know, you mean if it's a flip a coin, you mean to tell me that it's not tails two nights in a row and Sammy goes on twice? Do you know what I'm saying? It's so it's gotta be plot out here. You know, That's true, like, right?
2: There was never uh you know,
1: well, it's a
0: unbelievable. It. it was absolute perfect flip-flop on every date, you know. Yeah. I mean
1: heads I win, tails you lose. God, right? That never happened. We <laughs> that never
0: happened. We played touch football for God's sakes, you know. I mean, you flip the <laughs> you know, I mean, so I'm sure it had to have been all right. I'm doing this, you're doing that. And then let the big fights ensue for some of the bigger markets, you know?
3: It, so. it, can I add in one more thing as to why I don't believe that? And and I, and I do apologize for hijacking this. This is just such an awesome thing that somebody told me. A guy who, who was in a band that sold a couple million records who loves Van Halen. He was telling me that on this tour, Dave brought out the triplets, the uh, I think they're the Dom triplets who Dom were from triplets. The barbecue and then he brought out the little person or two. So he was running what they call Club Dave backstage every night uh, <laughs> where I think Frank Meyer talked about it on our podcast when he saw him in ninety nine or two thousand on the Bad Company tour. So if Dave in his rider was running Club Dave, which means he's doing the luau thing where you show up and you get the lay and he's got the bar and all that then they definitely had dressing rooms and hospitality areas set aside. That's why I'm further the skeptic. And Sammy did the same exact thing with the shot girls. Was that the tour where he would have the girls on stage as the wait, the strippers who were pretending to be waitresses, pouring the shots for people?
1: He did that in, uh, in 2006. That was the first time that you could get the the ticket on stage to be behind the drum riser. Yeah. Yeah. Genius.
3: Well, I just would imagine Sammy being a booze kind of artist that he would have had a bar or his own club, Sam, or whatever you want to call it backstage.
0: Now, what I would have thought would have been the most ultimate prank was for Sammy to arrange just surreptitiously on Dave's rider, a bottle
1: of his tequila backstage in dave's
3: dressing room every night or somewhere <laughs> i'm with you
1: well hey, that was you- that was the one thing that he said right sorry darren uh, just just to get this uh, point out and then over to you another part of that vh1 special was that little clip again which i'm sure was completely staged where yeah. dave, dave was like sitting in his in his tour bus and he's like here comes sam again banging on the bus door but what is that bottle of tequila in one hand is dick in the other right <laughs>
2: And what do you guys do? You, do you believe, uh, you know, if other things were staged, do you think the Kid Rock intervention trying to get both on stage was actually legit trying to get that to happen? Or do you think uh, that was it was never going to happen or just them trying to, you know, keep momentum for the tour?
3: I've never heard about that. I've heard that Michael Anthony tried to do that, but I never heard that Kid Rock yeah. was that in the special that you're referring to?
2: Uh, I was just reading it on uh, Ultimate Classic Rock saying that at some point, oh. he, I think when the tour went through Detroit, that uh, Kid Rock showed up to try to get backstage to try to get them both. I guess I guess before before the show he got them both to agree to it, and then during the show I guess one of them backed or both of them backed out, but it never did happen. But I know that Kid Rock was trying his best to get it to happen.
0: I think it was scripted in the fact that Kid Rock came up with the idea and just went with it. You know what I mean? That's you know he was he's always been his own best hype man, especially back then, right? So yeah. I would I would bet you this there was no knowledge of anyone's camp until he started you know getting <laughs> on whatever radio station was in Detroit or getting out there about it because that's totally the kind of thing you would do.
1: So Darren, you you just said something interesting. You you threw Michael Anthony into the conversation. I mean, we know that Mikey was out with Sammy quite a bit on yeah. that on that tour. Um, did uh, was there ever any stories that anybody's read that was was Mike was Mikey actually trying to broker something? Did did he talk to Dave at all, or was he just hanging with Sam on that whole tour, and that was that? Anybody, he was hanging with know? Sam, and
3: he outright offered. Uh, Dave that he would play bass on stage with him and then in general he's going you two should hang out and allegedly he's like yeah uh uh-huh uh-huh right right Mike right Mike and just blowing him off and ignoring him because Mike was attached to Sam
1: D had you you, you heard anything about that
3: I have
2: not but I I mean I'm just going back to thinking about if the kitchen sink tour was supposed to happen just right around that time that's probably Mike Trying to still instigate, you know, perpetuating it, becoming that possibly, right? By trying to do that. Because if they're out there, half of them are already there on the road, they're already there. You just gotta try to keep it moving along. Maybe you can actually make it happen, right? Because the tour was doing quite well, right? He was doing pretty good business, right? Maybe yeah, it was actually I, start, maybe it was starting to get the attention of the Halen brothers.
1: Well, that you, you just you just read my mind, and that was the, the next thing that I was gonna ask you was um, <clears throat> did anybody spot? Eddie or Alex Van at any of the shows, I wonder if they paid attention at all to what was going on there, or if they were just completely turning a blind eye to that.
3: Good, good question.
0: Good, good question. I mean, my, I guess my impulse is to think that those guys lived in such a vacuum. I mean, you know, Eddie in particular, as far as what was going on in the music world and pop culture, I mean, you know, I got my Peter Gabriel so CD, and
1: I'm
2: good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Wait, when when uh, when did Ray Daniels
1: pack it in with
2: Van Halen? Is there a, like was he were they managerless during the Sam and Dave tour?
1: Like who I was think, up? I think Ray Daniels um carried Gary Sharon's suitcase to the airport if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I, I mean, I'm joking. Obviously, I'm just wondering. Like,
2: who was managing? Was it were they managerless no. at that time? Ed? yeah, like who question.
3: was watching them during that time? No one. Hmm. Hmm. my assumption was that they were manager lists that um, uh, I think so too, right? yeah that that's my assumption that van halen when there's not a tour that their manager lists <laughs> and they bring somebody on for a very reduced commission and otherwise it's just the accountants and lawyers and publishers just filtering it all through as on a need-to-know basis
2: because you're right with like with azov with sammy having azov who was managing dave at that time
3: in early 2000s, it was Matt Sencio, brother of famed MTV VJ John Sencio. So Steve, he- I pictured that you were a fan of John Sencio. Am I wrong? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you're right, though. Like you mentioned before, like how could Azov have not made that happen, right? Made this kitchen sinker? Well,
0: well, he was at that time, he was just Sammy's manager, right? So he was in the Van Halen camp.
2: But he ended up being, you uh, know, when i came back he ended up managing them you know different kind of truth era right can i
3: butt in here i don't think that azoff was managing sammy at that point in time because sammy had a revolving door of managers in the late 90s early 2000s that um miles copeland for a little while handled him
0: of irs
3: yeah he he handled him around the same time he handled steven seagal hence steven seagal opening up a show for sammy hagar which uh, it's worth reading about that because anything about Steven Seagal is worth reading about. But I think that I think that he changed managers a few times in that era, as did Eddie in some form. I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that.
2: Yeah, because if you look at the Sam and Dave video, uh, Rage from the Stage, uh, Azov is there with Sammy, and some of the some of the clips, oh. he's standing there with him.
3: You know, I now that I think about it, I think we got different specials in U.S. and Canada because we didn't have a five-part series in the states. We had basically a one-hour VH1 special.
2: Yeah, there's a few clips where he's uh, he's Sammy's going off about how small the room is, whatnot, and he's talking to A's office, standing there.
3: Oh, okay. I'm glad to know that I'm wrong about that, because do you remember how when they were putting together the 4 tour and Sammy talked about this in his book that Azov was who had to talk Michael Anthony into the tour and that Azov gave up some of his percentage allegedly. And so did Sammy just to get Michael Anthony on there.
0: That's common knowledge, right?
1: I believe so, right? Yeah that that seems uh that seems accurate to me. That that's how I, I remember it as well. I th- I think there was some concessions that were made just because they they had you know tried to basically cut Mikey out completely, right? And yeah. I I I think there is absolute truth to the story that Sammy sort of said like if 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 Mike's not 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 in then I'm not either. Um you know whether or not he actually would have fully stuck to those guns is debatable, I'm sure, but um I do feel like there was probably some giving up uh, uh percentage wise here and there to make sure that, you know, they could they could throw Mikey uh, his due and, and have him out, right?
3: But then the further rumor that the Dave Whisperer, the deep throat whisperer from the Dave and Dave Unchained podcast put out into the world that Dave was offered that tour in 04 and turned it down because he didn't think that Eddie was well. And that really changes everything right there because Azoff wasn't managing. Dave ever, as far as I'm aware, Dave always just maintained like a personal assistant who he could tell what to do or an accountant. So how would that work? That Azov was managing Sammy, but Sammy would not have done that tour. How would that have worked?
2: What a mess, right? I mean, I know. Do you, I guess you know? Just all in all, looking back, the fact that they pulled this together, Roth and Hagar. Yeah. Did this. Did it help the fans? Did it help the legacy? Did it hurt the legacy? Do you think it was a good thing they did it? Was it a bad thing? What's your thoughts looking back at it 20 years later now?
0: I I'll tell you, I think it was I think it was a good thing. I think it was it, looking back on it, maybe it's hindsight's 2020, but at the time it certainly seemed to make sense. They're both out of the band from a business standpoint. God, what a great idea, right? I mean, if it didn't happen then, maybe it would have happened later. It just seemed it made perfect in my mind it always made sense i'm yeah uh, you know i don't think it did much to further anyone's career but i think it was if you had a checklist of things you wish would have happened with van halen and associated members
2: that could be on there why not i thought it was good smart did good business i mean it, it also like at that point 2002 was uh you know, it's four and a half years since Van Halen 3, so like there's four summers, four and a half summers where yeah. no one's hearing this music, really. I mean, Sammy's doing his thing, mm-hmm. but he had a lot of, you know, his own records out. But I mean, a lot of the stuff is just sitting there dormant and no one heard anything from Van Halen in four and a half years almost, right?
0: Yeah, good good point, which at that time I think was probably the longest they'd gone with
3: doing nothing.
2: Yeah, the and, last real yeah. thing they had was the release saying that Sharon was gone and they was just quiet for years, right?
3: And it gets further weirder when you think about this, that did you guys ever watch the live video that they made with Sharon in Australia that never really came out, but it's on YouTube? Yes. Fully produced. Then Dave on the Sam and Dave tour fully produced that Hartford show, which you could see on YouTube, and it never came out. So that started the streak of or continued the streak of Van Halen finishing things 99%, and which means 0% in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, we could both do multi-part episodes of lost opportunities. I mean, just <laughs> for for both Sammy and Dave and for Van Halen in total.
1: Yeah, that's such a true story. I mean, you, you see uh, over the over the last handful of years, so many cool things that have come out. <clears throat> pardon me from other bands. Oh. Um, what, package this and special that and a limited release this and all of the things that they could have put together as a package around some of these tours and some of these videos that have leaked out there in part you just go man like w- with a bit of a strategy and some cool packaging and a couple of things people have never seen before um you know you want to talk about selling more records and and, and yeah. driving more merch sales and like it was just so many missed opportunities you're, yeah. you're
0: absolutely right I, I i wail about this all the time but the fact that there was never an eat em and smile tour home video release to go up against uh, Live without a net. For God's sakes, what a lost opportunity! I mean, that toured the biggest lighting rig in history. You got this amazing, you know, band that would hold its own when Dave left the stage. For God's sakes, you know, I mean, the when Vi and Shea would, I mean, that would have been one where we would have been arguing for ages that the Eat Him and Smile home video was better than the Live without a net video. You know, I mean, <laughs> that that would that would have cleaned up some serious business, and then do another one for Skyscraper. I mean, you know, Kiss for me is always a blueprint for so much of what so many bands especially from that era should have done, you know, to this day, I mean, you know, they did an amazing box set. They, you know, the off the soundboard stuff, the, you can, you can say, you know, Gene never misses an opportunity. Listen, I don't want David Lee Roth condoms or, or, or a casket, (laughs) but as far as stuff that gets out from the vaults, you know, or stuff that basically they're giving what
2: fans want at the end of the day. And, and that's so knows. true with Edom and Smiley, because uh, Pete Angelos started as like Van Halen's lighting director. Do You yeah. think you know, they had that the biggest lighting to rig, like you said, at, at, in history up to, up to that point. Just Here's for that alone, vis- you think they'd release it to show it off, right?
0: Here's the most visual leaning guy in hard rock at that time, maybe ever. You've got the greatest freaking videos for uh, for, uh, going crazy in Yankee Rose. Throw that on the back end of it. I mean, God, the sky could have been the limit with that thing. It just...
3: I, so tomorrow, if I can self-plug for a second, purely accidental, but related to what we're talking about, tomorrow I'm going to have the pleasure of interviewing David Coverdale again. You know, speaking of people named Dave, who had Steve Vai play guitar for them, who are about 70 years old, who have canceled Farewell Tours, a lot in common right there. But you look at what Coverdale and Whitesnake have done for every single Snake release. They've given us a deluxe box set. Yeah, and you're telling me they didn't record all those Roth shows, like the, he's playing Monsters of Rock, and they didn't record it, and they didn't put the soundboard. You know, it's crazy. It so I just look at everything that Coverdale does, and I go Roth, you should be more like Coverdale, uh, in terms <laughs> of the the output, the fan friendly packages. Kiss, totally correct, and that is why we just see the Van Halen legacy dipping and dipping and dipping, and other bands who are not as great thriving the doors still have new music coming out in 2022
2: that's why when i saw that aerosmith video i mean i look i like aerosmith but i'm saying when i saw that video saying you know declaring themselves the greatest american rock band you know who's left to really say that they're not
3: right <laughs> it should it should be van halen yeah totally it really should be van halen based on the quality of the output it should be str- stranger things should have used a Van Halen song, not Master of Puppets. All (laughs) these shows should be using Unchained or You Really Got Me or Eruption or something like that, and they're not. And like Kate Bush getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, everything is wrong right now.
2: (laughs) Well, look, man, when you talk to Coverdale tomorrow, can you please let him know he owes me $79.50? Because uh, when they released their tour didn't quite really say that they were opening for the scorpions so i (laughs) bought my ticket thinking i'm seeing him next you know i'm seeing the scorpions come on dick coverdale
0: it's a shame that last tour didn't just was you know abbreviated because of his he wasn't sounding good i hate to say but um you know these last couple of white snake albums i absolutely loved yes just i mean uh doug aldrich and red beach in that band and uh just you know he not ca- he not only create new stuff but also fair to the legacy of what came before you're right i mean and, yeah i mean you know dave alone but lord knows i mean we've all lamented and talked about this what should be what we wish was happening with van halen reissues yeah
2: and you just uh you know mentioned doug aldrich I, I would love to hear sammy or roth play with aldrich man he's great
0: Oh, that's an episode I've been formulating for a long time. It's like the people that Dave could be calling with a snap of you know, snap of his fingers who I wish would create and do stuff with Dave yeah leaving <laughs> out the Edom smile band leaving out John five. The list is a mile freaking long, yeah. you know
3: He could do it all in in that sense, but uh, Lord Coverdale, uh, I will see I'll see what he says in response. if you formulate that into a question for me, I'll ask that. And uh, if I were a betting man, I bet he calls me darling as part of the response cuz that's a thing. That. <laughs> darling. <laughs> Just tell him to come uh, back to
1: Canada please? Yeah, that that's 79.50 Canadian dollars is what uh <laughs> probably is got that in his pocket there too. Yeah, sure he Probably. Can, probably sure he can manage that. Listen, um this has been a blast. I think uh, there's a few lessons here. Um the biggest lesson in is we have so much more that we can talk about and we are going to keep talking and uh look at us. We played nice in the sandbox yet again. <laughs> right. No, um, we always do. So, you, you know, awesome. I, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to slightly soil that by saying, you know, I'll, I'll take your lead. David Coverdale should be more like, uh, or David Lee Roth should be more like David Coverdale. Should yeah. David Lee Roth be more like Sammy then as well? Is that what should happen or.
0: No. Sometimes from a marketing standpoint,
3: <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I think that David Lee Roth should have had a spirit, and a, I'm just going to say I mean that, like a liquor. Yeah, mm-hmm. man.
1: Yeah,
0: i I've always maintained, and I've always had trouble kind of uh, explaining this, but Dave's, um, you know, Dave's passions are so varied and so <laughs> all over the place. Couple that with ADD. I mean, it's like just, I don't, you know, he can't, will never, ever couldn't do just one thing, even in the best of times. You know what I mean? I mean, he always had such varied interests. If uh, The fact that he became an EMT, for God's sakes, he will pursue any passion he wants. And, you know, to hell with the critics or to hell with what anybody else thinks.
2: Well, look, if Roth was going to do a spirit, I already know what the name would be. Drink the original. (laughs) (laughs)
3: well well i i that would have been the perfect thing to go out on but i'm not gonna let you end on a high note here i'm gonna ask (laughs) did you guys watch or listen to rather the roth show episode that came out today may 8th 2023
1: uh i have not yet but it it is on my bookmarked to listen list are you gonna are you gonna share a little snippet with us
3: Okay, I am so confused about something that he's saying in there. He's talking about how he lives in the inner city. And now it's a lifestyle choice to living in the inner city. And the dude lives in a gated mansion in Pasadena. <laughs> Wait a how minute. Was, how do you know he's not
0: talking about Tokyo, Darren? Because he's not
3: living in Japan?
0: He could be back
3: <laughs> in Tokyo for all we know at this moment. <laughs> so... So what I'm getting at is either, and one of, one of our listeners was messaging me about it. He's gone, well, I think that all those segments are pre-recorded and old stuff. And then he's wrapping around with the stuff where he's talking to Tom, which really hurts my head a lot to think about if this is the best of the best that he's thinking that needs to be unearthed. And if so, why is he talking about living in the inner city when he's living in a gated mansion that has like 10 foot walls to keep people like us out? Hey, we do we do
0: believe, though, that somebody is over there is listening to the DLR cast because we have said on more than one occasion that he should be featuring some of his solo music in these damn podcasts. Guess what? There's two songs from your filthy little mouth in this episode, which, as far as I know, is only on YouTube, at least from this afternoon. I mean, and no one puts show notes. God forbid you put show notes in your podcast episodes. It's oh, Steve. Show, episode 11, <laughs> and it shows up on YouTube. And I haven't looked in a few hours, but it wasn't on Player FM. It was, I mean, who the Steve, hell is going on? Over I here?
3: have to interrupt. You cut yourself short there. Which <laughs> song from your filthy little mouth is in this episode of the two that you talk about every other episode of the DLR cast?
0: Uh would be that reggae parody no big
3: ting (laughs) no big ting is in the background of this so i think they're trolling us now
1: (laughs) nice job guys no, I know, uh, I
2: know you guys always mention that song.
1: Yeah, I I love everything that you've just said, and you have no idea um, how desperately I keep channeling the word codfish in your guys' favor. I <laughs> can't tell you how much I'm sitting by my bed at night, praying, saying codfish over and over and over Thank again. You. Yes, um, listen, guys, we're we're gonna do this again, and maybe again, awesome. and you know, maybe maybe again. Um, <laughs> 2002 talking, was a crazy time. Yeah. Um it, it was uh it, it it was an interesting time in this band. It was fun to look back with you guys. Uh we always enjoy uh we love Dave, we love Sammy, we love it all. Uh we're gonna do this again, but for now, it's the bohos out.